looking at this morning, just in a more uh, age-appropriate uh, level. As always, kids are welcome to stay with us in our service this morning as we come to the end of the Gospel of Luke. We're in uh, chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. And before we get to our text this morning, uh, a reminder that it was three weeks ago that we celebrated Easter, where we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we kind of celebrate Easter, and then we might ask the question, well, what's next? Where do we go from here? Let's say the resurrection really did happen. What does that mean for us now? Is it something that we just look forward to in the future? Or does it have anything to do with our life now? What does it mean for our everyday, our Monday through Friday, our weekends? What does it mean for our life? What does it mean for me as an individual? What does it mean for the church, the people of God? Last week, we asked those same questions as well, and those questions are still here in our text. We're taking a little of a slow roll through the end of Luke. It's important for us to see this progression that takes place in the life of the disciples and that progression that will take place uh, by God's grace in our own lives. So let's read Luke 24, verses 50 through 53. Then he led them, that's Jesus, out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus Christ, who lived, died, rose again, and ascended to your right hand. Lord, we pray as we come to our text today, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we would know more of your grace, more of your mercy, more of your goodness, more of your glory, more of your power this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we were in Luke 24, verses 33 through 49, and the two disciples that we had met on the road to Emmaus the week before had just returned uh, to Jerusalem. And as they returned, they found out that not only had Jesus appeared to them on the road to Emmaus, but he had also appeared to Peter. And as they were talking about this and explaining what had happened um, in the presence of uh, the risen Jesus, suddenly he appeared to them in the room that they were staying and Jesus uh, assures them of his real bodily presence because they were startled, shocker, and they thought he was a ghost. But he showed them that he was really there physically in his physical body, hungry that he ate the fish given to him. And then after assuring them of his bodily resurrection, that he has done what he said he would do. He commissions them to be his witnesses. And we asked the question last week from the text, are we witnesses? 
We saw from the text, because the witness of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, we too point to Jesus as his witnesses. And this morning, we come to the end of the Gospel of Luke, the ascension of Jesus. There is the, the longer version of this in Luke's second book that he wrote, Acts. But he, he wraps up his gospel here with the ascension, uh, a kind of a, uh, just a, a real quick explanation of what happened that he will then uh, talk more at length about in, in the book of Acts. And over the past few weeks, we've seen a progression of the response of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. We've seen by kind of going a little bit slower through this, these last um, passages of Luke, this progression that happens in the life of a disciple. The progression starts with the marveling at the reality of the resurrection, right? The, the marveling that we see, saw Peter doing at the empty tomb. He, he, he marveled as he left at this new reality that had happened. This marveling leads to their hearts burning within them. We saw on the road to Emmaus that the, the disciples said that weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened the word to us. In the presence of the resurrected Jesus, he opened the word to them, their hearts burned within them. We saw that as marvelous and as amazing, as mind-blowing as the empty tomb, tomb is, it is not until the word of God is opened to show how Jesus, the very word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us and fulfilled the promises of God. How the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms pointed to Jesus and that Jesus is the one true God who had died for the sin of the world and on the third day rose from the grave. It is in that connection that we marvel that our hearts burn and with awe and wonder, with the word illuminated by the Holy Spirit, Jesus then declares his disciples then and now as witnesses to these things. Right, so there's this progression that we marvel at what has happened. The life, death, and ultimately resurrection of Jesus should cause us to marvel. But marveling is not enough. Marveling then leads to this burning of our hearts within us as the reality of what has happened in the empty tomb is placed in, hand in hand with the, with the word of God. Our hearts burn. And then Jesus declares his disciples then and now as witnesses to these things. What things? We saw that the gospel is more than merely your sins are forgiven because Jesus died for you, though that is certainly central, as Jesus pointed out in our text last week. But what things are we to be witnesses to? That the God of the universe, the King of heaven, has come, taken on flesh, lived, died, rose again, and now ascended and sits on the throne of heaven, and that changes everything. The gospel is the proclamation of the kingdom of God that Jesus changes everything. He not only changes our relationship with God, which of course he does, and is so important for us to understand, he changes that from enemy to child, from lost to found, 
from dead to life. He also changes our relationship with our earthly enemies and makes them members of the family of God. He changes our relationships with our neighbors that we love and we serve them as we love ourselves. He changes our relationship with the creation that we are faithful stewards. He changes our relationship with society and culture that we are to be salt and light, helping to shine the light on what is broken and bring restoration to what is in need of repair. We are witnesses to these things. Right? Each one of us is a walking witness of what God in Christ has done, transforming us, bringing us from death to life, restoring us. We are witnesses to these things. But how are we witnesses to these things? How are we witnesses? How do we live out this calling as witnesses? And it's just very kind of not fully teased out in our text this morning, but we begin to see the seed of what this means. What the means, the posture, the, the way we live as witnesses. What does the reality of Jesus' ascension mean for how we live as witnesses? We see from our text, because Jesus is the ascended king, we live as joyful servants of the king. Because Jesus is the ascended king, we live as joyful servants of the king. Luke, as I mentioned, blends together these last three scenes in a anticipation of what he'll write in the book of Acts, but he, he, he kind of brings together these last scenes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, of the disciples in the upper room, and the ascension in such a way that the time appears to almost not be separated from the resurrection. Right? He wants us to almost look at it as this, this, the resurrection and these events following are all connected in, in this very close way. Well, we know that 40 days have elapsed between his resurrection and his ascension. The way that Luke writes this last part of his gospel would seem to bring them all together. He wants us in doing that to recognize that once Jesus is recognized, once that the bread is broken and the eyes are opened and the reality of Christ's presence is there, that the community of the faithful live in the inaugurated kingdom of God. The already and not yet of the inaugurated kingdom of God. He wants us as his disciples to see that this is, is all connected that the resurrection and the ascension are integral and connected to one another in such a way that cannot be separated from one another. Right? It's why the church's liturgical calendar grew around Easter. You might not realize that. But the liturgical calendar, the calendar that the church universal uses to mark time, revolves around Easter the resurrection, right? It doesn't revolve around Christmas, as important as Christmas is, the incarnation. It doesn't revolve around 
Good Friday, the death of Jesus. It revolves around the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And that's why as we think about the liturgical calendar, it's not just the yearly calendar. Right? We don't follow the calendar of the world. We follow the yearly calendar of resurrection cycles, of the resurrection, of we celebrate and renew our hope in the resurrection every year, but not just every year. We re- renew our hope in the resurrection every week. It is the Lord's day, the day of resurrection The liturgical calendar revolves around Easter, returning to that hope, returning to the reality of the resurrection each and every week. We come being reminded every week and every year that the resurrection is true and real. And the entirety of salvation history is repeated each and every Lord's Day. The reality of the risen and ascended Christ can be a tricky one for Christians to navigate. Right? If, if the reality is that Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom, that the kingdom is already here, but not yet in his fullness, how do we as believers, how do we as those who have received the blessing of God, as verse 50 says that he blessed them, how do we navigate what it means to live in this already but not yet? What does it mean to live in the light of the reality that our king is not dead, that he ascended and reigns on the throne of heaven? And this reality has led some to seek to enthrone Jesus on the thrones of this world and on the thrones of people's hearts by forceful means. It has caused Christians over the years to seek that every knee would bow to Jesus in the here and now by whatever means necessary. For others, it has led to a kind of laissez-faire attitude. Whatever will be, will be, usually attributing it to God's sovereignty, but wrongly understanding that. Both views misapply the reality of the ascension of Jesus' teaching. You see, those who want to enthrone Jesus in the kingdoms of this world are essentially doing what Satan tried to do when he tempted Jesus. Jesus rules and reigns over all things in heaven and earth. He is the risen and ascended king. He is the one who has all glory, power, and honor. And while there is certainly truth in the reality that Jesus is victor, and we and his people live in light of that victory, our calling is to live in light of that hope, but as Jesus lived, right? We are not the ascended, (laughs) risen king. His church is not the risen, ascended king. Jesus is the risen, ascended king. And so he calls us to live as he lived in the reality of his kingship, right? We are to live in that reality, but live as he lived, a servant to all who set aside the reality of his kingship, according to Philippians chapter 2, and humbled himself for the good of others. And how could he live as a humble servant to all? He could live that way because he ultimately knew the victory that was ultimately his. 
And he calls us to do the same. To live not by the might of the kingdoms that we are residents of, because our citizenship does not lie in these kingdoms. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Right? Our primary citizenship isn't the United States or Mexico or Cuba or El Salvador, but the kingdom of God is our primary citizenship. Right? John MacArthur, quoting John Steele, uh, said this, though few evangelicals would deny this truth in theory, the language of our spiritual citizenship frequently gets wrapped in the red, white, and blue. Rather than acting as resident aliens of a heavenly kingdom, too often we sound and act like resident apologists for a Christian America. Unless we reject the false reliance on the illusion of Christian America, evangelicalism will continue to distort the gospel and thwart a genuine biblical identity. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters, that we don't do what Satan was tried to tempt Jesus to do as his followers. We are to live in the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the ascension, but as Jesus lived, knowing the ultimate victory would be his, knowing the ultimate victory will be ours. But this also helps those, not just those who maybe have a misunderstanding of Jesus's kingship and how that plays out in terms of the life of the church and the individual, but it also helps those who might have a more laissez-faire attitude as well. These folks aren't going to seek misplaced power, but instead are happy to sit back and perhaps watch the world burn if that's what God sovereignly desires and ordains. Yet the reality of the victory of Jesus, his ascension, doesn't allow us this perspective either. You see, throughout Scripture, God's sovereignty and humanity's responsibility are never at odds with one another, ever. Now, we may feel that tension because <laughs> we're finite beings, but the Bible never does. The Bible never has that tension between the sovereignty of God that he does and wills as he pleases, and yet... We are called by God to do what we can to seek the good, the right, the beauty of this world, of this place where we reside as resident aliens. You see, we are resident aliens. Some of you know exactly what that means in our midst, to live as resident aliens. Right? We have these ideas that we, we are citizens of this nation or we are resident aliens of this nation. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. And by extension, if we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, then we are resident aliens wherever the Lord has placed us. And so the ascended and reigning Jesus as our king, is calling us to imitate him, not in his kingship, only he is king, but in his servanthood. Living as servants of the king and servants of our neighbors. 
And so we live as servants of the king in our families, both biological and church family, in our work, in our schools, in our friendships, in our communities, in all spheres and all places of life. We live as servants of the one true king. The strength, hope, love, and peace that is needed to live in such a way is not in ourselves. It's not ours because we have it within ourselves, not because we have conquered, but because we have a Savior King who has conquered. And we have the hope of the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven to look forward with expectant hope. And so as we are called by God to live as his servants in the world, we can do all that he has called us to do, to serve in all of these ways, not worrying whether we will conquer these areas and spheres of our world, but do so in humble reliance upon the one who has conquered and says that he will one day conquer all things. And make all things right and good as they should be. We continue to live out that call to seek to bring hope and healing and restoration in the name of Jesus as his servants, not as little kings seeking our own little kingdoms or even misappropriately seeking the kingdom of God. We do this with expectant hope as Jesus blesses us to do so. And he blesses us to do so. And as we receive this blessing, we see in our text in in verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Right? They, They worshiped him. They found Jesus worthy of their worship. Right? In In this, Jesus is absolutely unique. No other person has ever or will ever be both fully human and a proper object of worship, meaning God. They worship him in their joy as an act of worship. They experience Jesus' presence and do his will. Their disbelief for joy back in Luke uh, 24, 41 has now been transformed into true and lasting joy because Jesus has opened their minds and their hearts and interpreted the scriptures and promised his Holy Spirit and given his blessing upon his disciples. And so Jesus departs from them as they are worshiping him, departs back to heaven from which he came. And he does not leave us, but he goes to guide us through his spirit, not to disappoint us, but to intercede for us. He departs with that blessing. He departed equipping us, his disciples, 
For those who knew him, his blessing is always, and those who know him, his blessing is always with us. And so we worship him with joy and serve with gladness, continually blessing God for the gift of his son. Right, that's the, the answer to our question earlier. How are we witnesses to these things? We are witnesses as we worship him in all that we do. Yes, here on Sunday morning, but in every way that we take this worship with us out into the world. We worship him with joy and serve him with gladness. We are his servants in his world. We are his servants sent from him, from his kingdom. As we come to the close of Luke, Jesus' quote, Exodus is accomplished. His being taken up back to heaven is the final aspect of his mission and work here on earth. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father to continue to rule and reign. Jesus has entered into his glory as the ascended Lord. And all that is left for us, his disciples, past and present, is to worship him in all that we do. For Jesus has blessed us, as he blessed his first disciples, to bestow upon us a new status. We are now designated as recipients of his grace and blessings, and we are set apart as a worshiping community, a serving community, a new community of people constituted by his word, his baptism, his supper, and we've been recreated to worship Jesus. Right? We have been recreated to worship Jesus, the agent of creation, the one who created all things and is the, re- the recreator making all things new. And who will continue to be present among us as we serve our ascended king in all that we do? We have been recreated in Christ. We are the first fruits of the new creation. And Jesus sends us as his servants, servants of the ascended king. And he will be with us in all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder, Lord God, that your Son, our Savior, is the ascended Lord, that he sits on the throne of heaven, that he is our King, that he is the one who is making all things new, and Lord, that he sends us as his servants. Lord, may we serve faithfully our King. Or may we do so in such a way that understands the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. That we may not always experience that victory here and now, but Lord, it is ours in the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us 
to serve, to serve in that reality. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.